0: Come mm-hmm. on.
1: back to the Neil Haley show here on the total celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to my special co-host today, Kim Sorrell, author of love is Kim. How are you? And I know you're excited about our guests today and one is a surprise guest, but you're going to introduce our first guest. That's doing unbelievably amazing things. The stories he's getting all over the place, the it's blowing up this story and it's an amazing, inspiring story. So Kim introduce our guest.
2: Antoine Miller, I am your biggest fan. I just want oh. you to know that. Um, You have done so much to help so many kids and growing and growing and growing, and it's so exciting, but you have been playing instruments, from what I understand, since you were a kid. I don't know if you were a prodigy or or what, but uh, (laughs) what a great opportunity that you were playing music, and then you played for the Marching 100, right? Yes,
3: ma'am. I did.
2: It had to be quite an experience, too. It
3: was the experience of a lifetime. It was the best thing I've experienced in my life. And to be a part of a band with such great caliber, you know, the Marching 100 is the band that started the traditional style of marching. So what we implement comes from the Florida AM and concept.
2: Wow. Wow, that's so cool. And now you've started this nonprofit. Yes, ma'am. Kids uh, connect with music, right?
3: Yes, ma'am. Yeah. so yeah we have the so we have the sos community marching band it's uh based out of riviera beach florida our services is offered to anyone five years old to 23 with or without experience uh, myself and all of my team we've been working with the schools for a while so we're very comfortable with training it's a it's a process that goes with it it's a you know it's a learning experience but to me the most beautiful thing is getting kids into college I love the end of the year when I do my award ceremonies I'm able to announce what college these kids are going to when they come back and they give so the program have done some incredible things over the last four years
1: and Antoine we have a special guest with us that's, that's right. helping with the movement so tell us that's
3: right you. so i'm happy to introduce that we have uh mr willie spence who will be actually traveling with us on this journey to london uh willie spence is also from uh data from riviera beaches myself as well and yes. uh his vo- his voice his voice like his voice is what attracted me when i heard him sing and then when i heard about this invitation i said man this would be the best collab to have the community marty band from riviera beach and then to have this awesome powerful voice from riviera beach that have also made headlines it, it's just the best thing so i'm happy to introduce mr willie spence
4: all right <laughs> thank you thank you so much
2: yeah willie we are thrilled to see you and thrilled to have you and i have to say when i heard you saying all of me i thought john you'd better move over because Holy cow, Willie, you stole that song. It was beautiful, (laughs) wonderful. American Idol had to be quite an experience for you.
4: Yes, it was one of the best experiences of my life, yes. Absolutely.
1: So Willie, how did you and Antoine connect? How did that happen?
4: Well, um, I met him down in Riviera at one of the shows that I was singing at because the band was performing at the same show wasn't it downtown it was oh uh, yeah i
3: believe it was downtown city place
4: yes and that was the first time you know i met him and you know he told me what he wanted to do and we you know we stayed in contact with each other ever since then
1: that's fantastic
2: yeah Antoine, i've got a question for you sure so uh i believe you started out with middle schoolers is that that correct
3: No, the history of the band, we actually started the band off with adults. It was an adult community marching band at first. Uh, And then I just wanted to do, I wanted to have a program that would give more of our youth something to be engaged in. Because, you know, after a time, I realized that we as adults, we already had our time. We already marched in our high school and collegiate level bands and we have already traveled and performed I, you know i thought that it would be best to you know give back to our kids so that's what made me convert the van over and that this that actually took place last year this was the first year that we were converted to all uh, youth, and it was the best experience because it, it kind of put me back in mode as a as a former teacher where i had all of these kids literally the whole entire band last year had no experience and their first performance was at the Florida a and University Homecoming Battle of the Bands, which was literally six weeks later. So they, it took them six weeks to perform the show that they did. And they did so well that they were invited to perform at the Florida Classes, which, which is like one of the highest events you can perform in here in Florida. That's, that's when Florida and m played Bethune-Cookman. And then from there, it just took off. So everything that you guys seen, all the videos from last year, those kids just learned. It's not even, it hasn't even been a full year.
1: My gosh, and that's amazing, that journey. And what, why the power of music for you that you want to help these kids? What, what, tell us the reason for music and how you have this movement.
3: Well, to me, music has a deep, to me personally, it's a deeper passion because, you know, I came up in band. And uh, I started playing band in middle school. And I remember I had a teacher uh, who was just like myself. Like, I I, I come from the same environment as my students. So I had parents who couldn't afford, you know, to pay for all of our trips and our uniforms or whatnot. And I can clearly remember my sixth grade year, uh, my middle school band going to a performance in Tallahassee. And because my parents were not financially inclined, I I had to sit out and miss that performance. And I can remember all the kids coming coming back explaining how much fun the trip was and that kind of like it kind of crushed my spirit so I I made sure as the director that I didn't want any kid to go through that experience that I felt you know because you never know what people is going through at home so I wanted to create a, a program where your financial situation wouldn't stop you from still participating you know especially when you've been down that line before so to me that was the main purpose of building the program and then all of the travels and exposures came just with the energy and the exposure of the band like I can honestly say when I started this band four years ago, I didn't see it being to where it is today. I'm just thankful for the journey, you know, but it's just the energy that the band has that it just keep attracting different, you know, people for invitations and performances.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing how adversity brought you to where you are. Right. And I know that Willie, you've had some tough times in your life as well.
4: Yes, absolutely, you know you know, going up, you know, having to move from a big city to a smaller town, you know, my parents giving up their career to raise me, you know, so, yeah, and I'm just, you know, I'm grateful, I'm grateful of the outcome now, I would have never thought that I would have done, you know, American Idol, I would have never thought that I would be, you know, traveling with the SOS marching band to London, you know, all of this, you know, I'm just grateful.
1: Antoine, how did you come up with this idea for London? What made you so want this to happen to go to London?
3: Well, at first, I didn't think that it was a real thing, if I have to be honest. I received the sure. an email, and when I seen it, it said, you know, it. first of all, it was a weird email address that I just, I wasn't familiar with. So I read the email, but honestly, I, it's a lot of scammers out there. So I was like, okay, this is not going to be a serious <laughs> thing. <laughs> so I got the second email, and the guy was so persistent. He was like, who doesn't want an opportunity to perform in London so I said okay let me go ahead and read it more and then in the in the email he provided a zoom link that we could schedule so he can actually explain it it was a real thing so it was the third email when he sent over like I said the official information we met in person and he was just explaining all of the great opportunities and I was just like wow this was real and then the main question that I asked asked everyone else I said well how did you find me how did you find SOS out of all of the many great levels of band in, in, you know, in America. He said he simply went in Google and he typed in community marching band and it was the first band to pop up. And he said, if he clicked on the videos and when he clicked on the videos, he said it was the energy that the band had that ultimately attracted him to, you know, inviting us over to London. So it was just, to me, I just call it, it was just faith. <laughs>
2: that's huge, that's huge. Yes, but- ma'am but when you do watch your band you can i can totally understand why just uh, watching it for a couple minutes he would be drawn to that and want to see you and you've done a pretty amazing job of working with community leaders and businesses in the community right to make stuff
3: happen oh yes yeah i have uh built some great partnerships uh so far you know while i'm moving we are partnered with our local city here in riviera beach uh our facility is we're, we're held at, on the school campus over so with our local district as well uh we you know we do provide transportation for our kids so i uh we have uh two buses that go pick kids up from school and bring them over here the only issue if i have to be honest is that i'm uh, i'm independently uh we do everything independently so we don't have you know the financial support to help us to keep the program going but by the grace of God it has been going successful you know for four years but uh is it is it is a lot of energy because even myself not only am am i the band director but i'm also the after school bus driver i have to go pick all the kids up myself and then after doing that i have to then bring them in here we also have a homework program so we assist the kids with their homework because we get out so late our main goal is to make sure that all the homework is done before rehearsals sometimes that can last for two hours into rehearsals and i'm you know it's also the um the director as well so i wear many hats but i'm thankful for each and every single opportunity for it because ultimately it's helping the next child that who can tell what they may be in the future. I could be helping the next president, honestly, or wow. my next doctor, <laughs> you know. So,
1: wow. oh my gosh, so Willie, what made you so impressed by what Antoine's doing with these kids that made you want to do it?
4: You know, my first time watching the band, they were incredible. Seeing those kids out there, you know, playing was amazing, and seeing how Antoine mentors these kids and take these kids in is amazing to me, especially knowing this is happening in my hometown. This is going on, you know, where I grew up at is so amazing. And I'm just honored. I'm honored to this day for Antoine to even, you know, ask me to be a part of something that is so monumental and something that is so big, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm grateful. And I'm proud of them. I'm proud of SOS. Willie.
2: Really, that's so sweet. And you're so humble and so kind. And it's amazing. And, and for both of you, Antoine, I know that uh, in running a nonprofit myself, that chasing dollars is uh, a full-time job all by itself. Like, that can true. be so difficult. And I am praying that people that are listening to this right now want to get involved and want uh-huh. to help, help out the cause. And then you get some great donors, so you, you're not having to chase it so much. So if people oh, yeah. wanted to donate to you, how would they do that?
3: Sure. Well, you can donate through our website, which is www.soswarriors.com. Uh, or you can also call the the band room, which is 561-331-5038. We also have a... Uh, A a QR code that uh, that's going to be released later on today as well that they can scan and it'll take them directly into the our link, which is through Fundly. So we do have a Fundly account that's uh, that's set up. But if you go directly to our website, it'll take you directly to the Fundly account.
1: So Antoine, with this whole trip to London, it is possible now, right? You've raised enough money, or you're close. What's going on in the process? No,
3: we're we're still far. We're still far from our goal. It's a it's a hard struggle and. uh, as Ms. Kim mentioned, you know, running a, a nonprofit is hard. Not only is it time consuming, but, you know, you also invest a lot. So what we're looking for right now, we're most desperately we're desperately looking for, um, for, for sponsors. We have to have 100000 you know, to them by September as a deposit for us to even get started. And that's literally like, you know pretty much, you know, a month away from now. So we're, we're trying to get the word out to as many people as possible to please help the SOS band. We have been chosen to represent all of America and her beauty. And we're going to do a great job when we get over there with your donations and contributes. So Willie you, right.
1: believe, and Willie, you believe this is... How much are you seeing this, you know, sending it out to your followers and everyone,
4: how important it is? Definitely. I'm definitely going to tell everyone I know this is extremely important you know <clears throat> it's extremely important this this is like a dream for these kids this is a dream for me so this is important and we have to get the funds we have to get your support everyone's support for this so people what?
1: listening especially on you know entrepreneurs out there people want to or or businesses that want to sponsor this amazing thing go out reach out to Antoine go ahead Kim
2: yeah, I mean, if you're gonna sponsor something in life or if you've not given anything, give, 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 give. And
3: I just wanna add on because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for the kids. Like I have to speak truthfully, all the kids in this program are from the same community. Honestly, without those uh, donations, the kids would not be able to afford the trip. You know, it it is pretty expensive, but I just, going back to myself, I don't want the kids to lose out on this, not just the kids, but everyone involved. We don't want to lose out on this great opportunity because of of a financial burden. And, you know, it's just, we just ready to go showcase our talents, you know, around the world, but starting off with London, you know, so we were desperately depending on the community support. All right. So, um, Kim, such great information. Antoine, again, give us the website one more time. Sure. The website is www.soswarriors.com. Once again, www.soswarriors.com. And Willie, where can we connect with you? Instagram, best place?
4: Instagram is Willie Spence Official and Facebook, Willie Spence.
1: Fantastic. People need to connect with you. And what's new with your career to update people? What's going on with you, Willie?
4: Well, I'm currently, well, My I have a gospel EP that's finished. I just finished recording it last week. And I have a new song that's coming out next month, the beginning of next month. And hopefully, well, the EP is coming out this year for sure. But the single is coming out next month. And I'm excited about it. So, yeah.
2: What, what is the name of the single?
4: The single is called Breakthrough. Mm. Yeah breakthrough so stay tuned everyone stay tuned for this
3: all right I'm so proud for you too Willie on that yeah it's exciting
1: it's exciting and Antoine I know you're going to reach your goal just believe it and it's going to happen I most definitely do and I thank you all yeah, then the people need to donate and then they know exactly where to go. And, and it's can- also
3: one with that want to add in, it's also gonna be an educational experience because while over in London and the kids will have a chance to do a workshop with all of the other bands from around the world, you know, it's gonna be a way for the kids to increase their musical skills. And then most importantly, it's something that the kids can add onto their college resumes when it's, at, when it's time for them to go off. So it, it's just very important.
2: It's huge, it's huge and increase their confidence.
3: <laughs> That's right.
2: And in- increase their world.
1: Right. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. All right. And Kim, where can we connect with you? Where's best
2: place? Uh, Kim My la- I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the <laughs> entire world. Way too many letters. S O R R E L L E. I need a new web address or something. But KimSurrell.com. My uh, latest book, Love Is, is um, out there in brick and mortar stores or on- online and I am trying to start a love movement because I really believe love will change the world. And Willie and Antoine, I would love to have your addresses. I'd love to send you guys a copy. Oh, wow. I, I think
3: yeah, I, I would absolutely love it.
1: it. Yes. Definitely. We're definitely going to do that right after this interview's over, guys. I appreciate it. You check me out on neilhaley.com, The Media Giant. And it was amazing to talk to both you, Willie and Antoine. Willie, can you sing us a little something out <laughs> so that people will say, This is just a taste of what you can get from Willie if the the, the sponsorship comes for Antoine and his amazing band. Go ahead.
4: We need your support. Thank you.
3: I love yeah, it. I, I love would it. do the same thing, but if I saw your people probably would log off. So I'm not going to go down that road.
1: No problem. We appreciate you guys again. This was the great Neil Haley show. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to program my special co-host today, Kim Sorel, author co-author. I'm an author of Love Is. Kim, thanks for stopping by, and we have an amazing guest today. And it's because I wish I could do this obstacle course. I want to do this obstacle course. I'm a legitimate 6'10". I had a a conversation with Akbar about it a couple of times and he told me he could do it. I said, dude, I'm 6'10". I don't know if I can do it. He says, it's going to be really, it's really tough. So who's our guest today?
2: (laughs) Yeah, you wish you could do it. I wish I could do it. I am, I pretend to be 5'2". So I think somewhere height in between is probably a better place to go. Brian Richardson, welcome to the show. You are the executive producer of this amazing show, America Ninja Warriors. I believe you've been nominated for four Emmys, which is blows my mind. I don't know. I don't talk to people who have been nominated for Emmys like this is so cool. So I'm so excited to meet you. I'm from Michigan. You're from Indianapolis, I believe. So go Midwesterners and welcome to the show.
5: Well, thank you. Thank you. That's right. Go, go, go Big Ten. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for
2: being here. I am curious, is it true? Is there any truth to Ninja Warriors becoming an Olympic sport?
5: Uh, Yeah, there's been actually, it's very exciting. There's been a a lot of attention and some headlines with that lately. It's um, What they're talking about right now is making Ninja part of an Olympic event called Modern Pentathlon, which is sort of a... um, Kind of an outdated event you might say it's it's uh, five events which has been around since the Olympics started I think in the in you know the early part of like 1912 or something and it was kind of modeled after what a what an army officer would do so you have shooting swimming running uh, uh, equestrian events and um, That it's it's a little outdated, not a lot of people do those events anymore, so they're kind of looking to to modernize to make it a little more interesting. And so, they're talking about replacing the equestrian events, the horse riding, with uh ninja, and it would be a sort of a a, 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 you know a sprint through a course, and that would be one of the five events. And they've been doing some testing, um, just in the last couple of months with some uh pentathletes and um, seeing you know how it would go, and so. They're talking about doing that potentially in 2028, um, which is exciting just to see it as, as part of that um, event. And then hopefully at some point, Ninja itself will become a standalone Olympic oh event. Because it's really blown up around the world. That's it's, totally really, it, it's really taken off. There's a, there's a lot of things, hoops you have to jump through to get an Olympic sport approved. It has to be something that's you know, sort of played on, I think, four continents and uh, X number of countries so that it's sort of a worldwide sport, which um, Ninja is really getting up to that. It's You know, there are, I think, uh, a couple of dozen versions of sort of American Ninja Warrior that they now do in, in Germany, in France, uh-huh. in Israel, and all these different countries. And it's really taken off around the world.
1: So Brian, did you think when this start when you started with this that it would go to this level, meaning thinking about American Ninja Warrior? I mean, like I remember the first couple of seasons and I started interviewing people and then they talk about the competition and how the competition got fiercer and fiercer and more and more people. Then they started having training facilities all over the United States and all over the world where people are training to become American Ninja Warriors. It was like, kind of like almost like, this fad or this, this new thing. And now to talking about an, an Olympic sport. So did you think it was ever going to be this?
5: Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how much it's grown really in the last, you know, 10 years or so. It, it, it had a, a, a kind of an interesting evolution. It, it started in Japan and it was this, you know if you've ever seen sort of the Japanese kind of game shows they're a little kind of, uh, you know, kind of goofy. And this was called Sasuke which was the, the sort of the, the birth of, of the Ninja Warrior uh, phenomenon. And it was done on a, on a, you know, kind of a raw, in a, in a dirt field behind the, the uh, Tokyo Broadcasting System. And it was called Sasuke and it, they started airing it on G4, which was a, a cable channel here in, in America, which was kind of primarily aimed at, you know, young males, gamers, that type, that type programming. And it became very popular, and so the people at G Force said, "Why don't we do an American version of this?" So they started in America, kind of um, you know low production value kind of thing. It was the, the first one was in a parking lot behind a Costco, and um, but it, it became popular. And the people who came out and did it were not professionals; they were everyman uh, type people, you know, who worked at the shoe store and um, you know accountants who just wanted to kind of challenge themselves and have this adventure. Um, and then it became popular on G4 and NBC, which owned, was sort of the corporate parent of G4, said, you know, that looks kind of interesting. Why don't we put that on network TV? And production values were, were upped, um, you know, uh, Arthur Smith at A. Smith & Company sort of took over the show and made it sort of ready for primetime and added a lot of lights, camera, and some and some made it a, a primetime show. And that's when it really started to take off and, and it became... Uh, something that people would train for a year round instead of something that people would come out once a year and sort of, you know, try their luck. And now it's 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 amazing. There are ninja gyms in virtually every city in America. Some of them have three or four. And there are regional competitions almost every weekend. It's become a thing now where uh, parents put their kids into ninja, where they used to, you know, play Little League or popcorn or football or do karate lessons or gymnastic lessons. And now they take their kids to Ninja and they go to these classes two or three times a week. And then they maybe go to a competition, you know, out of town, you know, once a month or so. And there are, there are leagues and and different things going on all the time. There's probably a Ninja competition going on somewhere this weekend that people are traveling to right now.
2: My goodness. That is, that's crazy. I mean, that's a lot. That's amazing. So, and in kind of a short amount of time, right? Like what, what kind of a time span are you talking?
5: Well, it's really been in the last 10 years. This is the 14th year of the show, but we've been on, uh, this is our uh, ninth full season on NBC, and that's when it really sort of blew up. Um, before it was kind of a niche thing on, on cable that people were aware of, and maybe people who were, you know, uh, watching G4 were aware of or, or watched, um, you know, Japanese programming. But it's really taken taken off in the last 10 years, um, kind of with the, sh- the success of the show. And now it's sort of a thing that you can, you know, come up to pretty much anybody and say, hey, you'd be good on a Ninja Warrior course. And everybody knows what that is. It's become part of the you know, lexicon of, of,
1: of you know, And I think in the last five, six years, after certain things started blowing up, certain athletes really became very popular and known. I've been on a lot of radio tours interviewing those stars they became iconic themselves and that really helped the whole thing that the, the 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 glitz and the glamour of american ninja warrior reminds me a little bit of um, um, american gladiator mixed with professional wrestling and uh, and, uh, and other types of events it's, it's an event going to these things right and i think that's another key part of what makes it a success
5: yeah our our, our uh our stars have really become stars around America. They get recognized in airports and, and uh, you know, at restaurants and everything. They have huge social media followings. And now most of them are, have become almost like professional athletes where they get paid basically because they are a famous ninja athletes and they will go to gym openings or to, you know uh, they promote a product and, and things like that. And they can make their living as a ninja athlete now. Um, it really is something that, especially the for kids, are probably more likely to to recognize someone like Joe Moravsky, the weatherman, who's who's a you know famous uh, one of our athletes, or or Jesse Graf. They're more likely to to you know recognize those athletes than maybe somebody in you know professional sports, somebody in in it's the true. NBA or a pro golfer or some things like that. Kids are really tuned into it.
2: Yeah, what a, and what a great thing, and how fit you have to be. I mean, my word, these people are fit beyond fit. You know, it's one thing to be a sprinter, but to be a ninja, like you said, training has got to be tough.
5: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a unique sport in, it, in that a lot of the people who are, who have success on the show were not sort of your your stereotypical jock. They were not the people who played football or basketball or had, you know, a lot of size you know, you, you mentioned Neil that your size might keep you from being a, a great ninja athlete, and it's it would be a challenge. I'm for waiting
1: for you to invite me to try to the course sometime,
5: right? right? I'll
1: come, I'll come, I'll come to one of them and do it. You know, open invitation
5: next next season. You are, you're going to do it. Okay, I'm, I'm oh, in. I'm in. Yeah. I definitely have to reach out to Avery. Okay, to I, I want to
2: see it. <laughs> <laughs> I've
5: <I'm
2: laughs> been training. I've been
1: training to say I'm making my pro wrestling comeback at 49 uh, so you know what let's let's do it let's let's add another thing to the to the to the list
5: yeah we would love it um but yeah the, the typical ninja athlete they they um you know the probably the biggest thing is a, a strength to weight ratio um our our, our typical you know the, the the athletes who do really well are you know maybe five eight 150 pounds and less um you know, if, you've, if you're much over that, you're carrying a lot of weight as you go across some of these obstacles, you know, to carry 200 pounds, you know, and land on your fingertips is a tough thing. So we, some of the best athletes we have right now are, you know, 120, 130 pounds because they're just so light and just kind of fly through things. Um, and it's, it's been interesting because um, even though, uh, especially in the beginning, a lot of our athletes came from gymnastics or wrestling or track and field. We also get a lot of uh, people who come to the sport late who maybe didn't know they were athletes. You know, they were in the marching band or in theater or something in high school. And they're sitting on the couch watching with their kids and and, and they watch the show and they go, you know what, I think I could do that. That looks like something I can do. Because it, we get a lot of those sort of couch to the course and maybe their kids challenge them or their, you know, their wife or, or significant other says, yeah, you think you can do it? Well, why don't you try out for it? And they come out and do it and and it's something they didn't think they were athletes and they realize there is something in them that that allows them to do it i think you know at its heart what we do in ninja is sort of the things we did as kids you know it's it's the monkey bars going across it's swinging on a rope swing in the backyard it's it's uh you know balancing yourself on the curb as you walk to school all those you know simple things we did as kids in school And it takes us back to that, that sort of childlike, this is fun, this is not working out, this is not going to the gym and lifting 200 pounds. This is just fun stuff to swing around on on bars and things. And it really brings in, we've had a lot of people sort of uh, come to it later in life who didn't think they were athletes and all of a sudden they're hooked. Wow, quite
3: interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, speaking of the course, how do, it, it seems to me that somebody is sadistic that is making up the course because it seems like it gets harder every year and more challenging. I don't know if that's true or not. Please speak to that, but who makes up the course and uh, what are some things, some new things that you're adding or have added?
5: Yeah. I mean, along with as we're talking about sort of the growth of the sport and people who, you now you know, train year round, that's just gotten so good that we have to keep you know, upping the ante because we'll come up with a really difficult uh, obstacle that that we think nobody can do. And in the first year, maybe a lot of them can't. They'll go home, build this and put it either in their, their local gym or put it in their backyard and they'll master it so that by the next season, they figure this one out. So we always have to stay one step ahead of them with our obstacle development. And we have a whole process of sort of Uh, you know, R and D of testing things. And and we start months before the season with ideas on a piece of paper, and then we'll build a sort of a prototype in the warehouse. We'll have testers come out and try that and see how it plays sort of in a small scale. And we'll be, you know, we need to make those six inches further apart, or we need to make the the landing and two inches is too easy. So let's make the landing just one inch for them to, to grab onto things like that. And it's a real process of, of testing. We have, by the time our ninjas sort of tried on the course, it may have gone through, you know, two dozen different iterations um, to make it where we think it's difficult but not so difficult that, you know, the best people can't get through it. Um, you know, this year in particular, we've tried to um, sort of have fun with things. We've had stuff based on sort of a carnival game, um, huh. you know, where you know if it almost like ski ball where you had to uh, roll the ball into one of the three shoots. And if you got it into a, the right shoot, it was an easier swing. If you got it into the wrong one, it was a longer one to catch. Um, we had a thing called the giant roller coaster, which was basically hold on to a bar as it went through a, a couple of, uh, of ramps and it flies you through the air. So, you know, we have to stay ahead of, of the ninjas. So we're always trying to be creative and come up with, you know, new and interesting ideas that'll challenge them and and also be fun for the audience watching at home.
1: See, I think that's fantastic. And who would have thought like any other Olympic sport where it gets more complex all the time, right? So there you go. So you're at the point where you are transcending what sports could become the next types of sports that will be created. Do you feel that American Ninja Warrior, they're going to, people are going to create other sports out of this? I saw one that was on ESPN where they were jumping on tables and stuff that was in, indoors and stuff that, that involved almost kind of like American Ninja Warrior. So I think you're going to see a lot more new invented sports coming up from this whole process.
5: Yeah, I think the one you're talking about is World Chase Tag, um, which yeah. was, um, you know, had a lot of similarities. In fact, some of our ninjas have, have been on that and done, done really well. Um, yeah, there's been a few sort of spin-offs or, or um, shows that kind of tried to tap into that same kind of, uh, you know, what we do on Ninja. Um, it's it's really interesting to see how it how it's evolved and everything. Um, you know, we we've taught we kind of joke about at some point, we're just gonna have to put like razor blades on the edge of, of oh, obstacles yeah. because to make, make it to make it because they've just gotten so good these, especially these younger ninjas who just train seven days a week. And it's you know no matter what challenge we put in front of them, you know you have to uh, have to keep uh, making it uh, more difficult.
2: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if ever there will be head-to-head competition at the same time, like Hunger Games, or some hopefully not like Hunger Games, but you know something yeah. like that. But, well, but one of some, the one of the yeah.
5: one of the spinoffs we had of, 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 of Ninja was it was basically a. a a side-by-side racing concept it was called team ninja warrior and the ninja versus ninja where it was two two people uh racing side by side down the same course and at some point the 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 course would sort of cross and they had to compete on the same track essentially and that was really fun because they're just sort of you know trying to elbow each other out and that kind of thing that's something that especially some of the um, international versions have really gone to and I think you know, you'll see different uh, versions like that that puts people sort of running against each other.
1: How long have you been a around with Amer- been doing American Ninja Warrior yourself?
5: You've been the producer, the executive producer the whole time? Um, nine years, basically since it since the show came to NBC. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And so, so how much of that, so how much of a team do you need to really have the success that you have production-wise for this? I mean, right. like you're putting this team together to make this happen, is you have experienced level in sports before doing producing something like this to be able to figure out the camera angles, all the different things, the glitz and the glamour of this amazing uh, spectacle, and also production for television.
5: Yeah, it's it's a it's a big team. It's there's about two hundred people to put the show together, and we have a lot of of, of people who are. Uh, uh, you know, our director came, comes from a sports background. He was an NBC sports guy who's directed, you know, Indy 500s and Kentucky, Kentucky Derby's and NFL football and that kind of thing and brought that sort of sports mentality to it. And we have a, a huge team of, for art department and lighting and, and casting and everyone else, um, you know, because we've been around for a while. It is a big machine. that sort of knows how to put together uh, each year. But, you know, when we roll into town, it's just a, a, a it's like the circus, you know, we've got eighteen wheeler after eighteen wheeler who roll in, um, build the course. It takes you know a, a a couple of weeks to get the course set up, um, build it, build pu- the pools with the water and all that stuff. And it it's it's a machine to make it happen.
2: Yeah, it's amazing where you came from and where you are after just nine years. Because there's so much more than the sport itself to become popular to. Get the notoriety that you've gotten and make the show really, really fun to watch. So, that's some pretty great leadership, I would say, in that amount of time.
5: Yeah. Well, it's, I'm a small part of it. There's a, there's, you know, there are uh, some other uh, executive producers starting with uh, Arthur Smith at the top. But uh, yeah, we have a great team and everybody because we've had some continuity over the years, everybody kind of knows what to do when the season starts up and what we need to do and it usually just changes you know whatever location we're in are we inside are we outside but yeah there's a lot of great people who, who make this show happen
1: all right so what's next for american ninja warrior meaning like the contestants up and coming contestants coming up people to watch now for the show
5: well we're, we're in the middle of our, our our 14th overall season right now we're about to start our um our Las Vegas season finale episodes. This is sort of the the best of the best have now made it to Las Vegas. And it's basically the final, uh, final people are going to fight to get through the four stages in Las Vegas to win the million dollar prize. Um, And, you know, it's always, uh, we, we introduced teenagers a couple of years ago, we lowered the age limit to 15. And that's really opened the doors to a a whole new wave of talent, these kids who have basically grown up doing nothing but ninja. And because they, their schedule is a little more uh, open than you know an adult who's got a job and, and family and things to worry about, these kids, some of them will go straight from school to the ninja gym for four hours a day. And so they're really talented and only 15, 16, 17 years old. And you're gonna see um, those those kids really tear it up in las vegas along with some um you know fan favorites who've maybe been around for a while that fans of the show have have followed their you know their uh successes and failures along the way and that's another great part of our show is that people come back year after year we've got fan favorites that you know we've seen them literally grow up we've seen them get married have kids you know maybe go through an injury and then they come back So a lot of great stories of people to follow from year to year. And then there's always a new face who surprises you. You know, this year we have a, uh, you know, a a 16 year old uh, girl from New Mexico. She's a a rock climber and she's just amazing. Her name's Katie Bone. Who's just, you know, done things. You can't believe she's a type one diabetic Mm -hmm. who wears an insulin pump on her arms. And, you know, still is able to do some amazing things she's been a a big breakout star this year oh wow so definitely
1: and people could check out american ninja warrior by going to nbc.com as well and following all the different social media right
5: yep and we're on you know every monday night on nbc and then uh, we they repeat us on friday nights on nbc
1: all right and what's new for you any other projects you have going that you whether it's happening right now bro
5: Well, literally this is, you know, I said, it's a big machine. And so we're already, we're still, um, you know, editing the final episodes and then we start getting ready for the next season and start doing, you know, uh, location scouting for next year. We start the process with casting and a lot of planning for next year, because it is such a, uh, big machine, you know, when we, we need a big, uh, we need big locations so we're reserving you know football sized stadiums or large plots of land and places, so it takes a while. awesome and do
1: we have social media, you can follow you Brian check you out, where can we go.
5: No that's okay.
1: you're good. <laughs> we follow, the, follow, the,
5: follow the show.
1: We follow the show got it got it and Kim where can we connect with you where's best place
2: uh kim Sorrell. um Sorrell is spelled s-o-r-r-e-l-l-e way too many letters two e's two l's two r's but kim um, if you just um google love is the name of the book i should come up i should be readily available brian i would love to send you a copy of the book actually if Great. i can get your address after or whatever i would i'd would love to be able to share it with you
1: we'll definitely connect connect you to Avery for sure you can check me out at neilhaley.com the media giant appreciate you guys and it was a great show
5: Brian one more thing go ahead I was just going to say and I'm going to see we're going to see you both on the course next year right oh
1: yes that's happening and 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 Avery we're going to keep this going and have more conversations with Brian and other people from American Ninja Warrior in a different way and I appreciate everyone listening and watching the Neil Haley show guys take care we're back to the Neil Haley show. And my guest today is all about health, wellness, and mindset, Lila Veronica. Lila, thanks for stopping by. And uh, you, I consider you almost like a jack of all trades and all the different things that you've done in your career and where you are today. And I appreciate you stopping by.
6: Thank you, Neil. It's really fun to be here.
1: It's Absolutely. Nice. When you talk about entrepreneurship, was that something always you wanted to do?
6: I have been selling blow pops since I was a kid, brother.
1: <laughs> really, so like starting oh, yeah. from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah,
6: yeah, I was oh, I've always been I could have story on story about what I've done, but I've always had some sort of side hustle before side hustle was a word for sure.
1: And what why, what where did you get that motivation factor from?
6: Well, I grew up with a single mom who was very poor, and there was zero extra money, barely even enough money to feed me, let alone any extra money to have anything. I wanted things. That's just the truth. I wanted to experience more. I wanted to be able to hang out with my friends, buy the cute shoes, you know, um, be a cheerleader. I played sports and uh, baseball, and I was a cheerleader, and I did a lot of activities. And I would not have been able to do that if right. I didn't learn how to make some money on the side.
1: And that is—that's the thing. And that—but that, that takes—that takes again extra effort. Go working for somebody's different. Than, than getting residual income, figuring out specific ways, different things. So, what type of entrepreneurial ventures have you done in your career?
6: Well, I will go a little bit backwards. Right now, you know, I have a coaching and consulting business where I help women in particular with owning their worth and embodying um, uh, their worth. So, really mm-hmm. walking into a room, and it has a lot to do with a movement system that I teach. I've done a lot of business coaching over the years. I've helped a whole lot of Of coaches and service oriented women um, create a lot of money in their life and a lot of fun and beach houses and and, and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, You know, before that, and I still do, I've had um, connections to product companies, um, health and wellness companies. Uh, I used to be in the environmental field. I spent 15 years and I was working uh, I used to teach environmental policy at the Ohio State University. Okay. So I've had a lifelong desire to stay healthy but also create wealth. And so a lot of the products I love, there's a liquid collagen product for example that I'm just in love with that it helps people so much. Um so I have you know several multiple streams or excuse me several streams of income in my business. You know before that I when eBay came out I would go to the consignment, the thrift stores and consignment shops, buy stuff, sell it on eBay. You know, um, I have, you know, when I when when Uber and Lyft and all that stuff was coming out, I was just starting my business, so I even did some of that, and I would go on Craigslist and get side gigs just to pay the bills so I could start my business. You know, so I didn't have to go get a job, forty-hour a week job. And so what I've learned is like. We all show up every day, whether it be, you know, we're in charge or somebody else is in charge right. or we're still working. And I, I'm a leader. I'm just born a leader. I've never liked to be told what to do. It doesn't work for me.
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> so that's, that's, sure. that's, that's, me too. I don't, I don't want, I want to do it. My, I'm on my own, not someone else, right?
6: Yes. And so that's really, I would say people, when they say, how did you get into, you know, to entrepreneurship? And I'm like, well, I don't want like to be told what to do. I've had jobs, and it's usually within one and a half years. And you're out because I know I have some idea. Nobody will listen, and I know it's a good idea. You know.
1: (laughs) So so, and that's the problem. You come in and work for a company, and then they you want to do more. They don't want you to do more. That's the problem. And then your mind says, "I want to keep doing more." you got it. And so then you're like, well, it's best to do it with my clients and do those different things. So where do you see yourself? Where do you see your business going? Especially with the other streams of income, you're teaching so many people, you're helping them with their health and wellness and also build their businesses and grow. Where do you see yourself?
6: Well, I have this year, um, I am creating, it's almost done creating an app. Uh, It's called Riverstone Movement. My intention is it's, I love it because it's what we're doing here today. About seven to 10 minutes of movement every day. That's it. It's all you need to reshape your body and be mm. in your body and move from a whole new power ah. to place in itself. Seven to 10 minutes a day. So my future has a lot to do with bringing in um, not only students, but also teachers to teach my system. Mm. All of my women, I always say, they're the smarty pants women. They're like the intellects. You know, I'm a highly educated woman, but it did not make me necessarily feel good, or or be happy. I had to learn how to be in my body and, and take care of myself if I was gonna let my intellect um, uh, thrive in the world. So that's really where I'm headed. I'm growing my community of Riverstone Movement students and looking for teachers always who understand the connection between the physical component of mental mastery.
1: So you teach them and then they teach, that's the goal to teach others. Really? Yes.
6: And I have, what's beautiful is the technology nowadays. It's glo- I've, I've either taught, coached, or spoke on all seven continents, even Antarctica. That's great. And so Yeah. So this, what, by creating an app, it's it's so helpful for it to be anywhere globally for teachers and students too. It's cool. It's really neat.
1: Technology. So the app, but you make yourself available in this app more than not just that your, your, your movements, you're making yourself available to the other teachers. So the teachers can't just, no one just, just download the app and use it they're gonna to need to have a teacher that's involved. Explain that more through the process. Well,
6: the teachers will support the students. So a lot of um, uh, apps have, you know, things on the technology, but no human. And right. So this is, they get a uh, teacher on the app, you know, the, the short seven to 10 minute practice, mm-hmm. that's me. And then they also get a support uh, teacher, whether that be me or another teacher to see, so, because, I had a mentor once say, you can't see the ingredients of the salad dressing bottle when you're on the inside. Right. So even if people practicing exercises at home, if this is a lot about posture alignment and how we're moving through space. And so you need eyeballs on you because you think you're doing one thing and you see yourself and you're like, whoa, I'm doing something totally different. Or if somebody else sees you that has a super trained eye for balance and harmony between the body parts, you can see what's going on and what's neat, that person can help them link the physical component of the life. Because if you shift the body, the life shifts too. The issues are in the tissues. You get okay. rid of them. Yeah, so that's the whole point here with this, with this Riverstone movement. It's not just about getting fit. Getting fit is actually a bonus of knowing yourself and aligning with your-
1: So you're putting in a lot of your components you your coaching that is again, you're working with people, but now more people can, you can reach for this app and the teaching. So you're giving, you're giving it both, you're going both areas. You're giving them the ability to stay, get in shape, but also have better mindset. And and
6: absolutely. And then the teachers to create wealth as well, because that's a big part of what I've taught over the years. I bridge, I bridge wealth and the body basically. Mm -hmm. So my question
1: for you is why is it so difficult for some people to create wealth, especially if they have the right mindset The right idea the right product or service the right system but yet get bogged down why
6: for women and actually for men too but for women in particular i would say the number one reason is judgment fear of judgment from others Mm. it's innate it's by it's wired into our biology to be part of the kingdom get kicked out of the kingdom you're dead so the you know, we could say they have the right mindset. They don't take action with the physical form, the body. Ha <laughs> ha, there we go again, back to that thing. So, you know, it's really, they're scared to show up with the, in the body and say words and share their energy because of what other people might think of them. Mm-hmm. It's legit. That's the thing. It?
1: If you get out there, if you don't, you're going to have success. If you're willing to, get, to go out there and put yourself out there, that's the biggest thing that's keeping a lot of entrepreneurs from being successful is get themselves out there. That's what it sounds like It's to me.
6: not getting in front of the right people, it's getting in front of people.
1: It's getting the right, right people or in front of people?
6: It's not even about getting, a lot of people are trying to find the right people.
1: Versus just getting in front of people. That,
6: that, that, that will
1: get things going. That, yeah. will, that will develop the, the stuff. Very interesting stuff. Where can we find information on where's the best place we can connect with you?
6: RiverstoneMovement.com. All and right. RiverstoneMovement.com. You can see what I have going on there. What I would say is, you know, I, I love what you said. You have to kind of, like My grandma always said, you have to ruffle feathers, keep ruffling feathers. So I believe happiness is a bit of a rebellion right now. It's very easy to be sad, angry, and depressed and all that. Yes. But it's not easy to be happy. So I, you know, this is a call to all women who want to feel good and be happy. And you'll see it, check it out. The, uh, you'll not, see it at the website. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, appreciate it. Thanks, Leila. Appreciate it. Yeah,
6: appreciate All
1: it. All right. You're welcome. You're watching and listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? What's going on, man?
7: Oh man, book launch. our movie's gonna be uh, screening and film festivals uh in September. Really excited.
1: All right, and so I'm excited to welcome the program actor, director, and producer Andrew Burton. He's going to talk about all the Lord's men and more. Andrew, thanks for stopping. How are you, man?
8: I'm pretty good, Neil. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. So first question for you. Did you always want to be a an actor, a director, and producer growing up? And where did you grow up?
8: Yeah. Uh, So I grew up uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, I I think the first thing I kind of wanted to do was probably write. Um, I wrote, you know, novels, a lot of screenplays. Then I kind of got into acting Uh, in college. I did like a lot of off-Broadway kind of stuff, um, some acting classes and, you know, the directing thing that just kind of happened as soon as I left school. And I kind of started making my first short films and just kind of got the hang of it by doing it. And um, then I, I was making features, you know, a couple of years later. Um, so yes, I think I've always been into the arts, um, you know, writing, acting, directing. Are they all supposed to go together in one package? I think so, at least in my case, I do like doing all of them. And I think it's kind of cool to kind of be able to package a story, you know, that specifically, cause I think, you know, as a certain person who does few different crafts. I think you can craft things a little bit more precisely. Maybe you can, you know, tell stories a little bit differently than if you had to explain what this in you know, a screenplay means to a director you bring in. So I think having that type of, I guess, vertically integrated control as one person is kind of something I actually like,
7: yeah. Andrew, I mean, compared to us old guys, you look so young. How old are you and how did you achieve all of this stuff so soon i mean 20 30 years ago in hollywood guys your age would never be in the position you're in
8: well i mean i think i'm 27 i think orson well oh, yeah, he's old i think orson welles quite a bit by the time he was my age i don't know the exact ages he's yeah, the exception I, though he's the exception okay I, I think in my case it's just been kind of like running directly into the the fire, not that there's ever been a fire, but it, it's been about doing things. Um, I pretty much spend all my time working, so it's it's been all, since I got to LA right after school, it's just been about, you know, finding people to collaborate with, people who want to work on these films with me, kind of figuring out the whole business side of things, which I think is obviously everything, because, you know, these things just live in drawers if you don't, like, have some type not of sure. brain to do things with them so yeah it's just been doing it and running and doing it more and i'm still doing it so it's just doing it yeah see you know? neil he
7: said the magic word work ethic that's it what it is it's guys your ethic. age don't have that work ethic where'd you get it from
8: um uh, okay uh, <laughs> i don't know I've, I've always had a work you were born ethic. that way huh? so, so, growing,
1: up, born. growing up in portland did it did it have to because of the mindset have that work ethic in survival, or what would you say?
8: I don't know if it was like, so I think the first kind of thing that occupied a lot of my life was um, <clears throat> ski racing. Um, and I probably got some kind of work ethic from that. Um, you know, I ski like three quarters of the year, kind of like around wow. the world, like training with sort of rather strict coaches. Um, so I think it is just kind of the repetition of athletics, which I guess, has informed sort of what I'm trying to do artistically, but like, yeah, I don't even look at it as just art because you do think of art and you, I mean, I don't know if that's really compatible word, you know, in, in Hollywood, you have to really combine art with business and a work ethic. So I think, I don't know, I think athletics seem like a a really good kind of segue to, to filmmaking in, in my case. I think that in school and kind of just being like a boring studious person um, has been something which has served me well, you know?
7: Yeah. Well, don't Did break you- any bones being uh, <laughs> that much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So when you said, you know, gotten involved in acting, directing and filming uh-huh. and all that stuff, what age were you when you first started
8: Um, so I think I started writing kind of like in a way where I thought, okay, I'm a writer, um, in like seventh grade. So, you know, kind of early, just for like prose and kind of novel writing, I was reading Sid Field's screenplay in sixth grade, I think, and just I read it two or three times, and then I started writing screenplays, which are, um, I I look at them fondly and they're probably fine, but I mean, I think objectively they might be trash, I don't know, but you know, I've been writing, it was writing, and then um what was the question so when is so kind of when the
1: acting directing and producing starts So writing in seventh grade then yeah. when, did, when did that finally start to become a profession for you and all that stuff how old were you
8: yeah it started to kind of become a professional thing when i was like what 23
1: maybe okay.
8: So right after work, I left. So,
1: skiing, so skiing and then that when and then
8: that? that basically yeah <laughs> um but it was always kind of this you know i think it started in my head, at least firmly kind of in college, I would, you know, in college, I would kind of commute between like New Hampshire and New York City quite a bit just to kind of meet people in the film industry and kind of just like go to various kind of off-Broadway theater productions and kind of see how that works, you know, from a directing angle, from an acting angle and everything. So I think even in college, I was already, my, my heart was kind of like in the city, so to speak, not that art has to live in New York City or any type of city, but I think just kind of, I always kind of wanted to just kind of leapfrog into some type of professional setting instead of just kind of leaving all of my artistic kind of contributions on some type of student stage, you know, um, so yeah, I, w- i my head's just always been at it since, since as early as I can really remember. I just started doing it and, um, you know, you try to build momentum, you do it every day and momentum eventually builds. And that's just kind of what I'm still doing right now. Just kind of building that momentum and turning my kind of production company into something larger that hopefully, you know, people will kind of know about um, soon-ish, you know, you just got to yeah. keep working. Yeah.
1: No, that's, and that's what we always like to talk about, but that's that entrepreneurial mindset. That means when you're starting this young, it's going to be really big for you. And Dave, wouldn't you agree, it's just all about, work ethic and it's about having goals in mind and going after them.
7: Yeah, and I'm wondering what was the film industry like in Portland versus LA? I mean, I'm sure there was a culture shock coming down here. Uh, Did you start the production company up there or down here?
8: No, I I started all that down here. I don't know anything about the film industry in Portland, to be honest with you. Does it even exist? (laughs) I don't know. It probably doesn't. For me, the Portland film industry is like, I've never even thought about it. I don't know. Maybe it's cool. (laughs) I don't know. That said, I do want to film something in Portland or in Oregon very soon because I think it looks very cool on film. Um, But I don't know about the Portland film industry. For me, it was basically college, then kind of intermingling with kind of a scene in New York City, and then right after college, the day I graduated straight to L.A. So it's just pretty much just been L.A. It's kind of just been like where I've been getting my feet wet and walking into these yeah. computers I keep mentioning. Not, yeah. Yeah. So it's been L.A. And how's it been? It's
7: been cool. There's Oh, like- yeah.
1: So, so talk, give us a story of just biting that bullet and going to L.A. You know what I mean? And, and, so and by the
7: way, you're going to have to give up skiing and learn how to surf since
8: you are here i've never surfed
7: um yeah, yeah. Never no. offers you, to learn to surf but so i think you can see that we are
1: working now i don't i don't know he's thinking
0: plus.